0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. Our prayer is that through this message, you will find the Father, a family, and a fulfilling future. Be sure to connect with us online at Cornerstone Church Social to keep up with all things Cornerstone. Thanks for tuning in.
1: Man, I am excited that you guys are here. Welcome to everybody watching online as well and everybody on site. I'm Jacob Young. I'm the lead pastor here at Cornerstone. Uh, I'm, I'm just pumped because I've been experiencing God's goodness this week. Anybody else been experiencing God's goodness this week? I, I can tell you earlier, earlier this week, it was, it was a rough start to the week for me. I can't speak for anybody else, but for me, the week started off a little rough. Not necessarily uh, bad, just hard. Like I, It wasn't like a bad thing. I didn't have bad you know, experience or conversation or anything, just hard, just difficult. Um, And so uh, that's kind of how the week started. But man, God's just so good and God's so faithful. I had three specific things to start the week that just made it hard. And I kid you not, as I got to the back half of my week, God has done three specific things to encourage me, to lift me up. Uh, And I'm just so thankful for God's goodness. That's kind of how he does things, right? Whenever we need him, whenever we need his help, he is there for us, one of the encouraging things—this is the cherry on top—is just being here with everybody today. I—I I, I don't say that as lip service, man. I love my Cornerstone family. I, I love seeing all you and getting to worship with you every single weekend. It truly is a joy, and I'm so thankful that you guys are here today. And I want to say this too, man. God's moving our—he's on the move in our church, isn't he? Like, do you feel it? You—you you feel it? He—he's doing something special. In our church, I'm just thankful to be a part of it. So um, we right now, we are uh, in our series, Summer Mixtape, and we're actually closing this thing out today. It's hard to believe it's been a five-week series and we're at the tail end of it. Um, This might freak you out. Guess what? In 16 weekends from today, we start our Christmas series. Sixteen. Some of you were like, I'm about to throw hands at you. You're talking about Christmas and it's still summer. You need to pump the brakes. I get it, I get it. Uh, but it is crazy. It's crazy how fast this year is flying by. But we're in the series, Summer Mixtape, finishing it up today. And what we've been talking about is looking at the Psalms, right? We're, we're making a playlist of the Psalms and not the typical greatest hits that you always hear, like Psalm 150 or Psalm 23, but some of the deep cuts, right? Some of the, the deep tracks from the Psalms. And we've been making a playlist List. And we've been doing it, I mentioned this last week, if we have any Stranger Things fans uh, in the house or online, uh, in the most recent season that came out, the, the main bad guy, what he does is he kind of like can get his victim to fall into a trance-like state, right? He can kind of get him to fall into this. And the only way for the person to break out of it is by hearing their favorite song. Like a favorite song kind of snaps them back to reality, It brings them back to the real world. Uh, and we've been talking about that kind of concept when it comes to Scripture, Right, the book of Psalms. A lot of it really is uh, uh, songs like that we're reading. Whenever we read the book of Psalms, we're reading actual songs and. Uh, uh what we need to do is create our own playlist to help us snap back to reality because the world is constantly trying to get us into a trance of just ignoring things that we should be focusing on, of having uh, intention and purpose in our life. Uh, and so we need stuff to remind us, no, 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 I'm going to block this out and I'm going to get back on track, back to where I need to be. And so we've been curating our own playlist of the Psalms. If you have missed any of our weeks, I would encourage you, uh, if you would, to go back and check those out. They're on our podcast. You can find it uh, on Apple uh, Podcasts, on Spotify, on YouTube. We're we're all over the place. You name the platform, we're there. I'd encourage you to catch up with where we're at today as we get ready to close this out and finish our mixtape. And what we're going to be looking at today is Psalm chapter 30. If you have your Bible, you want to follow along, or you have a Bible app. If not, don't worry. We'll have the scriptures up on the screen. But we're going to be in Psalm chapter 30, going to be looking at verses 1 through 5, and then verses 11 and 12. This is what King David writes. He says, I will exalt you, Lord, for you rescued me. You refused to let my enemies triumph over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you restored my health. You brought me up from the grave, O Lord. You kept me from falling into the pit. Of death. Sing to the Lord, all you godly ones. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Then down to verse 11 You have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy, that I might sing praises to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks. To you forever. I love how David says that he cries out to God and God hears him. Who's thankful that God hears when we cry out to him? Isn't that good news that whenever we cry out, God actually hears us? We're not just throwing up prayers to the ceiling, God actually hears. Uh, I'm thankful for that. I'm also thankful that my wife hears. I'm thankful that my oldest daughter, Eden, hears. When we had this tornado uh, scare this last week, and you guys remember that. Uh, if we have people watching us online, I know we have people from different states watching us. Here in Northeast Ohio, we had a, a severe weather scare this last week, and it got pretty intense. I don't know if you were in the path of it at all, uh, but the storm was pretty wild. And I actually, I slept through the tornado sirens And I slept through the alarm that came on the phone, like like the emergency alert saying like, seek shelter immediately, just slept, just powered right through both of those like it was nothing. Uh, Luckily though, my wife didn't, (laughs) like she heard them. So uh, me, Jessica, Griffin, my two-year-old son, we were downstairs on the couch watching TV. My two girls, Eden and Evelyn, they're upstairs in their room asleep. Uh, Me and Griffin, we fall asleep watching TV. Now, Jessica says that she was being the caring and thoughtful wife. She said, you guys look so comfy. I didn't want to wake you up and tell you to come up to bed. Yeah, right. She wanted the king bed to herself. Don't let her fool you. She knew what she was doing, and she's trying to, oh, I just love you guys. That's when you sleep well. She wanted that king bed to herself. So she goes upstairs. Me and Griffin are still down there. She's in there like maybe 40 minutes. Then Eden comes in, my oldest daughter. She's like, Mom, do you hear the storm? And Jessica's like, yeah, you know, I I see it. And uh, Eden says, look outside. And so Jessica looks and sees the lightning. That lightning was nuts. There wasn't even a second between strikes. It was just constant. And so Jessica's like, if you're scared, honey, you can lay in bed with us. So Eden does that. She climbs in bed with Jessica and they're up there. And within like five minutes, she looks at the phone, severe weather alert, tornado warning, seek shelter immediately. Jessica's like, oh, okay, This wow, this is, this is bad. And within like seconds of that, uh, you hear the siren start going off. She's like, oh, okay, all right, you know what? You go downstairs, wake up your dad. If he's not awake already, I'll go get uh, Evelyn and we'll head down into the basement. So Eden comes sprinting downstairs. Mind you, again, I'm just, I'm sleeping great. Like I'm, I'm getting some fantastic sleep on the couch, me and Griffin, I'm laying there. Eden comes down to wake me up. And how she does it, like, I just feel a really hard push on me. Like, I'm, I'm facing out from the couch. I feel a hard push, and so I wake up. Eden is this far away from my face. She is, like, right there. Her eyes, like, as big as can be. And I wish, like, I had a POV camera to show you what I was seeing and experiencing in that moment. All I know is I go to sleep and everything's fine. I wake up to Eden right here. The room being illuminated with lightning just choo choo choo. I hear the windows behind me. I hear the limbs from the tree outside hitting it, and rain pelting the window. our fireplace. I can hear the wind rushing over the top of it, so you just hear whoo, whoo, like that that's what I wake up to. Just Eden all she says doesn't even say, "Dad, wake up nothing she just there's a tornado. We have to get to the basement I'm like what (laughs) what I woke up to felt like the tornado was at the neighbor's house like it felt like it was right there so I scooped Griffin up we run we run into the basement luckily as you know no no tornado really hit I think they spotted funnel clouds but it never made a touchdown or anything like that um but it was scary like it was a scary moment but it was funny whenever we went into the basement Jessica was like laughing she's like how did you how were you asleep like the tornado sirens, the storm, your phone going crazy, none of those woke you up. I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. I just didn't, I didn't wake up. I was in a, a really good sleep. And so it was funny. We were laughing about it. But then I started thinking a, a little bit more and I'm like, if that actually would have been a tornado, Jessica wouldn't have been here or something like that, that could that could have gone bad. <laughs> that actually could have gone kind of bad. Have you ever had those moments in life where you like have a close call and you realize how close it was? Maybe you're driving, someone else isn't paying attention and they start to come into your lane or someone's walking and they're walking too close out on the road and you see them at the last second, you swerve out of the way and it gets your adrenaline pump, and You're like, oh, and you realize, My life almost changed forever in that moment. Like I almost hit that person. That car almost came over and hit me. It's a scary thing whenever we have those moments where we realize, wow, I'm not actually as in control as I thought I am. Like I realized that. I'm like, man, I could have just slept through that thing. Like I could have just slept through all these sirens, all these alarms and whatever control I have, I'm at the mercy of the weather right now because I actually don't have that much control See, I, I think we all have that moment. I'm going to paraphrase uh, the great philosopher of our time, uh, uh, Mike Tyson, real quick. Uh, <laughs> I think I think everyone has those moments where we feel like we're good, we don't need help. Everyone is self sufficient until they get punched in the mouth. Mike Tyson, before he fought Evander Holyfield, uh, they they asked him and said, "Hey, Holyfield says he's got a specific fight plan just for you. What do you have to say about that, Mike?" And Mike Tyson said, well, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. We'll see how it holds up after that. And the same is true with us. Everyone can be lulled into this fake sense of self-reliance, of I've got things, I can handle things. Everyone can feel self-sufficient until you get punched in the mouth. King David experienced a punch to the mouth. I mean, listen to those opening words of Psalm 30 we just read. It says, I will exalt you, Lord, for you rescued me. You refused to let my enemies triumph over me. Oh Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you restored my strength. You brought me up from the grave, oh Lord. You kept me from falling into the pit of death. David found himself in a difficult situation, right? I mean, listen to how he was describing it. The pit of death. I needed rescued. I needed help. And David isn't just some person. David at this point, he's king, This is a man who has influence, this is a man who is powerful, this is a man who is influential, and he received a punch to the mouth, and he needed help, he needed rescued. All of us get to that point, sooner or later, where you realize just how much help you actually need, how not self-sufficient you are. And for some of us, it takes a really long time, especially nowadays, because we live in a period of time where, man, we are just, we're self-sufficient, aren't we? We're in control. We got things, we're we're good. Man, if I if I need picked up, but my car is broke and I don't want to take a bus or anything, Uber. I'll just pull it up my phone, just a few thumb clicks and boom, there's a car waiting for me, a car of my choice, right? If I want food from a sit-down restaurant, but I don't want to sit down there, I want to sit down on my couch, I can door dash some food to my house. Like, I, I can control that situation. We have so much control nowadays. This is how much control <clears throat> we have. Whenever we were getting ready to leave uh, for vacation earlier this year, uh, it was during the time where we were having, like, no rain at all. I do not want my lawn to pretty much die, <laughs> right? So the people who lived there before us had installed a sprinkler system. So I was like, okay, for the two weeks that we're gone, I'm going to make sure that the sprinkler system is going just so it gets something, right? Gets some kind of uh, water. So I I set up our our sprinkler system. Uh, I set it on a new program that I've never used before, right? Because it only does it every couple of days and only at a certain time. So I set it up on that. um, And we leave on vacation. And as we're down there, I'm like, man, I don't. I actually never saw the sprinklers go off after I set that program. So did it actually set, because it's a weird program. And I'm like, okay, you know what I'm gonna do? Because I'm in control, (laughs) because I have control of the situation. I'm gonna set an alarm on my phone to wake me up so I can check and see if it's working. And this is how I'm able to check my ring doorbell. Right? My ring doorbell. I've got a camera that shows me a live feed of the front of my house. So sure enough, set an alarm, wake up, see it, the sprinklers are going off. I'm like, perfect. <laughs> I'm the master of my domain. Look how good I am. Look at how control, how much control I have. Like I've got everything set. I'm good to go. We live in a time of control. We don't need help. We're good. We got this. We've got all the help we need, usually at the palm of our hand, until. We get punched in the face, and <laughs> we're reminded just how little control we have. Anybody in here or online afraid of elevators? <clears throat> A few hands. Okay. For the rest of you, you will be. Just give me about five minutes. <laughs> um, let, let's do this. Uh, Nicholas White. Back in 1999, Nicholas White is a man. He worked in an office building in Midtown Manhattan. He was getting ready to go out uh, on a smoke break. It's a Friday night. Him and a few coworkers were working late, some of the last people in the building. Uh, He decided, you know what, I'm going to go take a smoke break, come down, finish work, and then we'll get out of here. Now, what happens in these large buildings, if you've never been in one of these skyscrapers in a big city, uh, there are two sets of elevators. You have local elevators, which are the ones you're probably accustomed to that take you to every floor in the building. But then there's also express elevators, right? Express ones. And those are pretty much like highways. They'll take you from the ground floor to the 25th floor. And then another express elevator will take you from the 25th to the 50. And that's how it works. Well, for this guy, for Nick, for him to go take his smoke break, he needed to go to the closest balcony, which was taking the express elevator up to the 50th floor. If I remember right, 50th floor, He hops in, goes up, has a smoke break, comes back in, gets in the elevator, starts going down, and then boom, right? Comes to a stop, lights flicker real quick, come back on, but then it's not moving anymore. So he's like, "What?" He's kind of waiting for a voice to come through, the intercom, no voice comes, kind of presses the button, nothing happens. He's like, okay, just stay cool. Someone's gonna come get me. I'm gonna be good, I'm gonna be good. My man was in there for 41 hours hours. 41 hours. So let me ask you one more time, who's, who's afraid of elevators? Has the number ticked up at all, right? We're, we're about to have a lot more people taking the stairs in the Akron area. Uh, stuck in there for 41 hours. Absolutely Terrifying. And what's so terrifying, too, is, is the article that I was reading this in. It was actually a really long article. It didn't just tell about Nick and his story, but it also talked about how uh, elevators are a perfect uh, study of how humans want control and how we're lulled into thinking we have control. Did you know that after, uh, there's a certain year that all the elevators prior to that year, I can't remember off the top of my head, but the open and close button for the doors actually doesn't work, doesn't work they put it there to specifically give people the illusion of control. Because people can freak out getting into a closed, tiny box, and so we'll give them the illusion that, yeah, you're, you're controlling things. You, you tell that door when to open and close. Right, yeah, that's, that's you. It's an illusion, because people wanna have control. You know what you see in movies, all, all these movies, where an elevator gets stuck, and they're like, all right, let's, let's get through the top, and they move the thing and get out. You can't do that. You can't do that. All elevator safety panels at the top, for safety reasons, are bolted shut from the outside. So you're stuck. (laughs) But we create this illusion that, well, if anything happens, you know, I can just climb out. Nick, he's seen enough movies. He tried that, found out it was locked. He tried all the things. He tried the open elevator door button. It wouldn't open. He had to pry the door open whenever he pried it open. It's an express elevator. He was met with a concrete wall. That's it. You feel your palms sweating now, don't you? You're like, whoo, getting the heebie-jeebies just thinking about it. It's terrifying when we realize how little control we actually have. This has happened to us occasionally, right? You, you may have not been stuck in an elevator, but you experienced COVID-19. We all did. This, this, this world that we felt like we, we've got it down and we've got control and we understand how things work yeah, that one took us for a surprise, didn't it? it kind of threw everybody for a little bit of a loop. <laughs> Definitely took our way our idea of control whenever uh, uh, weddings that we had planned had to be canceled. Trips, vacations had to be canceled. People who were healthy and were thinking, oh, they'll be here for a long time. They, they died. They passed away. Our sense of control went out the window during COVID-19. Our sense of control is going out the window right now. We talked about it last week with, with prices for everything skyrocketing, everything costing. We're spending $5,200 more this year for the exact same stuff that we had last year. People who, people who never miss payments in their life are missing payments now. People who were never in debt suddenly are in debt now. And people who are like, I've got this. I'm, I'm good with my money. I'm in control. Suddenly are going, I don't know what to do here. <laughs> I thought I had control, but I guess I don't have as much control as I thought. I got punched in the face, and I'm reminded I'm not as self-sufficient as I thought I was. Happens to all of us. So with Nicholas White, the guy stuck in the elevator, I think to me, the scariest thing isn't even the amount of time. That's, I mean, that's scary. 41, 41 hours, come on, that's That's scary. The scariest thing is that he was in there for 41 hours and no one knew. That's what's scary. That's what's terrifying. That's what's frightening is the fact that no one was aware this guy was stuck for that long. You see, uh, the scariest thing for you to hear when you cry for help is nothing. Nothing. <laughs> That's the scariest thing. When you cry for help and your cry is just met by silence. You're just shouting out into the void and no one hears you and no one is coming. That's what he experienced. Man, he did, he did everything to try to get rescued. My man was waving at the security camera like, yo. Here, do you, like, is this thing real? Like, do you, do you see me here? He he. Whenever he had the doors pried open, he was screaming as loud as he could till his voice got hoarse. Um, the alarm bell that you can sound in the elevator, he was pressing that thing constantly. He even got to the point where he pushed the button in and then pulled it off so that it just constantly made the sound thinking someone has to hear this like a cleaning person. Somebody here in the building has to be able to hear this. He did everything. Some of his remaining cigarettes, what he did, he pried the doors open, lit them, and had the smoke kind of go out the elevator thinking maybe it'll trail up and go through one of the open doors. He even, <laughs> he even urinated out the side of the door hoping may- maybe something trickles down through a door and someone's like, "Uh, what's this mysterious substance coming through? Like he, whatever you're thinking, well, he should have just done this. He did it. He did all of that, and nothing worked. The scariest thing to hear when we cry for help is nothing, when it feels like your cries just go out into the night. Think again what David said in Psalm 34 through 5. Sing to the Lord, all you godly ones. Praise his holy name. His anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. And then this, this is good. This is good news Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. That's, that's good news, but let's not so quickly get to the joy coming in the morning that we forget that the weeping at night can be really long and really lonely. You know that because you've experienced it. You've experienced nights that feel like you are waving at the security camera and no one's hearing you. you you're, you're shouting out and no one's coming. No one notices what's going on with you. That is terrifying. That is terrifying. That's terrifying. That's scary when we're waving and yelling like, God, hello, are you here? Do you notice me? Do you see me? Do you see what I'm, what I'm going through? Some of us today, because of what's going on in the world, you are trapped in an elevator of debt right now. <laughs> you're, you're just wondering how in the world you're gonna make it to your next paycheck. You're wondering how in the world are you gonna be able to do this? You never used to be in financial trouble. You are now, <laughs> Some of us in here today, people watching online, we are in a trapped elevator of relationship issues. We've got issues in our family where things are just so dysfunctional and so broken and so hard. We don't even, the next family event, we're already dreading it. You're already like, I don't even, Labor Day, oh my gosh, I don't, I don't wanna be around. I wanna see them again. This is gonna be so difficult. We've been praying, asking for there to be a change, asking for some of this this dysfunction to be fixed, to be healed, and nothing Is changing. God, are you even hearing me? Do you even see me? Do you even know that I'm here? Some of us, we're trapped in an elevator of regret. We're trapped in the the things that we didn't do or the things that we did do, and it's the thing that we think about when we put our head on our pillow at night. It's the reason some of us can't have a single quiet moment. You constantly have a radio or music or podcast or something or the TV playing in the background because you do not wanna be alone with your thoughts because you know what's gonna come up. And you feel stuck, and you feel trapped. And you're like, God, do you see me? Are you there? Hey, <laughs> like, I'm here. I need help. I'm getting punched in the face by this thing, by this opposition, by the enemy. And God, are you even paying attention? Do you even hear me? I'm going to do something real quick. I want to I skip to the end, and i want to go ahead and just spoil the sermon real quick, Okay? I think I'm allowed to do that. There's no no rules in the Bible that say I can't do that, so I'm gonna do that. Because let's be honest, you all know where this sermon is going, don't you? The classic setup. Pull people's attention to the fact that there's a problem. The problem is, doesn't it feel hard sometimes that you cry out for help and it feels like God doesn't hear you? That's the problem. Now, what's the solution? God hears you, amen, hallelujah. He always hears you, right? You're like, you know that's where this is going. You know that's the end of the story, and that is true. God does hear you, God does see you, God does know you, God does watch you. But I don't wanna just stop at that superficial kind of top level thing where you leave here going, woo, God hears me. What's that mean though? (laughs) What's that look like? Because it still doesn't feel like he does. So I want us to talk about the deeper implications of the fact that God hears us, what that actually means and why that is such good news. And here's the first thing that I think is just like fundamental that we have to understand about the fact that God does hear us, he does see us, he is watching over us even in moments that it doesn't feel like it. Um, I feel like people in this room need to hear this today. There is nothing you have to do to earn God's ear. I'm gonna say it again because I feel like this is, this is such a big thing for us. This is honestly, will probably become a, a, a teaching series at some point here at Cornerstone. There is nothing you can do to earn God's ear. To, to make him like, okay, I'll listen now. He's already listening. It's not conditional. It's not a this for that. There's nothing you can do to earn God's ear. And I feel like we need reminded of this constantly because what we believe and how we act is that God is waiting to answer the prayers of a better me. I'm just not good enough right now. God's looking at me. He sees me waving on the camera. He, he hears me pressing the button, but he's going, ah, not yet, not <laughs> yet. You still got that thing in your life, and you know you're 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 just not good enough yet. You're not cleaned up enough yet. You're not the you're not the version of you I want you to be yet. Um, and so once you get there, yeah, I'll come help. will get you. I'll get you unstuck. But no, in the meantime, you're fine where you are. Fix yourself up. Become better. Be a better version of you. God is not waiting for a better you. To answer the prayers. He, he's, he's not waiting for you to become more interesting, for you to become more holy, for you to become more perfect. You don't have to do anything to earn God's ear. He is already listening. I mentioned it in Here a lot because It's one of my favorite shows, uh, Seinfeld. I used to watch it all the time growing up with my dad. And there's an episode where the one character, Elaine, she's so excited because her new job has a ride service that she gets to use. And it's like a limo. Like so, pretty much whenever she leaves work, whenever she needs to, she can call up and this limo picks her up. She's like, this is the greatest thing ever. The only drawback is the driver, the limo driver, is a chatty Kathy. If <laughs> you've ever experienced this, if you've had an Uber or a taxi ride and the person is just constantly talking to you, or isn't it the worst if you ever get a massage? And the person just wants to talk the whole time. You're like, please, let me just lay here in silence. Like, that would be so great, right? And that's what, he's, that's what she's experiencing. She's like, oh, I just want to be able to just ride. And so she's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tell this guy that I can't hear. So he's, he's talking, and she's like, ah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going deaf. I've been losing my hearing. I can't hear a word you're saying. So the guy's like, oh, so, sorry, sorry. Doesn't say another word, right? Just drives her. She's like, this is perfect. This is perfect. And so this happens over and over again. He, she gets picked up. She gets in the car. He just gives her a polite little wave. They drive. She gets out. She's like, I love it. Until one day, <laughs> one day she gets picked up. The driver starts taking off. And as they're going along, someone radios in on, uh, on his CB. He picks up. He's like, yeah, what's going on? Like, hey, Mike, we're going to need you to do a pickup immediately as soon as you finish uh, with this ride. We got a high profile Pickup. He's like, okay, where at? And now, who is it? Like, well, we need you to go to the Plaza Hotel. It's Tom Hanks. Guess what Elaine does <laughs> for the back seat? <gasps> Tom Hanks? Are you for real? You're picking up the Tom Hanks after me? Instantly, the driver's like, so you're deaf, huh? <laughs> L- lo- losing your hearing? That's what it is? Yeah. See, I-, I think you hear just fine. I think I'm just not interesting enough for you. You just don't care about me. You don't want to talk about me, but Mr. Tom Hanks. Whoa, That's a whole nother story. How many of us feel like that's what God is doing with our prayers? That like we get in the car, we pull up and he's like, yeah, I can't, I'm deaf. <laughs> I can't hear you because you're not perfect enough. You're not holy enough. You're not good enough yet, but, but your, your sister that person who you follow on Instagram who it seems like everything's going right, man, they got God's ear. I don't know what they're doing, but man, their elevator's never been stuck. Like their elevator is just working totally fine. They've got the perfect marriage, the perfect kids, the perfect house, the perfect job situation. Meanwhile, over here, it feels like everything's a struggle. I'm getting stuck all the time. And it must be that they're doing something where they've got God's ear. He loves them a little bit more. They're a little bit more perfect, a little bit more holy, a little bit more righteous than I am because it feels like I am waving at the security camera. I am pressing the alarm and I don't get anything. (laughs) Like I'm just stuck in the night. I'm still in the night. I'm still in this period of time where it feels like God doesn't even see me. The fact of the matter is there is nothing you can do to earn God's ear more than you're already doing. He's already listening. Any additional thing, you know what that becomes? That becomes Jesus and gospel. And there is no Jesus plus this. It's just Jesus, right? It's just him. If it's Jesus plus any of my works, it's not the gospel. That's not good news. It's just Jesus. I cannot do a single thing more to earn God's ear. He is already ready listening, let me give you an example of this. This is from Psalm 31. We're not going to have the words on the screen. I just want to read this to you. Listen to what David says about himself and then what he says about God. This is David describing himself. Psalm 31 verse 9. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am in distress. Tears blur my eyes. My body and soul are withering away. I am dying from grief. My years are shortened by sadness. My sin has drained my strength. I am wasting away from within. Do you hear what he's saying about himself? Does he sound like he's doing good? (laughs) Like he's a great person? David is fully admitting my sin is draining my strength. I am filled with grief. It feels like I am on the verge of death. Verse 22, listen to how this ends. So in panic, I cried out, I am cut off from the Lord. But God heard my cry for mercy. And he answered my call for help. See, David thought, I have done nothing to earn God's help here, nothing. My sin is draining my strength. I feel like I'm on the point of death. I'm, I'm about to lose it. In fact, I'm so far gone that I'm crying out, I'm cut off from God. <laughs> I'm cut off. I'm, I've been waving at the security camera. I've been pressing the alarm and, and he's not watching and I don't blame him because I don't deserve for him to answer my call, and yet in the middle of that, in my panic, God heard my cry for mercy and he answered my call for help. Even when David didn't deserve it, even when David didn't earn it, he received it. God is not waiting on a better you to answer that you's prayers. You don't have to do anything to earn it. And here's here's one of those things that just is, is so amazing about God. God isn't even just waiting to hear you cry out to him. Sometimes we don't even have to cry out and he hears us. <laughs> isn't that amazing? Sometimes we don't have to utter a word and God still hears us. My, my grandpa, one of the greatest, most godly men you, you could ever hope to meet, um, in the last years of his life, he was kind of reflecting back on his life and just blown away by how good God is and how faithful God is. And one of the things he said is, I, I look back at how I was in my 20s and my 30s especially, and I look at the things that I prayed for, the things that I, I, I would write down and I would ask God and I prayed for, it. and he's like, man, they weren't, they weren't like bad things, but now that I'm 90, <laughs> now that I'm 90, and I look back on my life and I look at the things that truly mattered, the things that were truly important, the things that have stood the test of time, I realize how few of those things I prayed about when I was in my 20s or 30s. I was so consumed with just the now. He's like, but now, I'm, and now that I'm 90, I look back and I'm like, oh, you fool. You should have been praying for these things. You should have been crying out to God for these things. He said, but this is, this is how God is so good. All of those things that I should have been praying for, that I should have been crying out for, God has answered them. God has answered the unasked prayers of my heart. He's just that good. And he he talked about Psalm 37. My grandpa's like, I think that's what it means in Psalm 37 whenever David says, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. When you delight yourself in the Lord, God will answer the prayers you don't even know to pray, the cries that you don't even know to yell out, God answers those. That's how good he is. That's how good of a father he is. God doesn't need your words for him to get to work. God's not sitting there going, I'll, I'll come get you, but <laughs> say, the, say the magic words, <laughs> say them in the right order. I'm just, I'm, I'm just waiting here. I'm just waiting for you to say exactly what you need to say and say it in the right way. I'm just waiting. God does not need your words for him to get to work. And again, we see this in David's life. We see God providing for David before David even knows he needs provision. I want to read in the next moments from 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is one of the most famous stories in all scripture. This is David and Goliath, David fighting this Philistine Warrior. This is uh, right after David was anointed as the next king of Israel. The, literally in the chapter before, chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, he's anointed as king. And then in chapter 17, uh, he's going to the front lines of this battle between Israel and uh, the Philistine nation. He goes up to the front lines. He's delivering food for his uh, brother and for his family. While he's there, he hears Goliath yelling out the uh, curses upon God and God's people. And so he's like, man, if no one else is gonna fight this dude, I'm going to fight him. If no one else is going to stand up and do the right thing here, I'm going to do the right thing. But the current king at the moment, Saul, is like, we're not sending you out there. You're, you're a boy, like literally a boy. David was probably around 16 or so whenever this happened. We're, we're not sending you out there. That's where we pick up. This is what it says in verse 33 of 1 Samuel 17. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There is no way you can go and fight this Philistine and possibly win. David, you're only a boy. He has been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. And whether a lion or bear came to steal a lamb from the flock, I would go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal animal turned on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I will do it to this pagan Philistine too for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. You see, in this moment, what David is doing, he, he's making a declaration, but it's a declarative prayer, really. Like, David doesn't know the future. He doesn't know for a fact. I'm gonna go out there and get victory, but he's, he's making in this statement, this declaration, it is a prayer. Like, I'm, I am believing and trusting that as I go out to stand up for my God, my God is gonna stand with me. He's gonna fight on my behalf. I'm believing and I'm trusting that God's going to do that. David has hope that God is hearing him. And here's what is so incredible and so amazing. David goes to fight him and he, Saul tried to give him his armor, his sword, but Saul's a grown man. David's a kid, none of it fit. It was too heavy, it wasn't gonna work for David. So David went out there with, with uh, as you know, if, if you know the story, with just a sling, And his staff, that's it. This is what it says in scripture in verse 40. Uh, David picked up five smooth stones from a stream and he put them into his shepherd's bag. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Chances are you know how the story ends, right? Right? Goliath, what we know from history and the kind of uh, helmets that they wore, he probably had a small opening just right here on his forehead that David, using a sling and using a stone, was able to hit him right where he needed to, to land a killing blow to Goliath and knock him out. Now, this is the thing that's so cool. So David makes that prayer as he's there on the front lines, this declarative statement, this prayer of God, I'm believing he's gonna go with me, he's gonna help me to defeat this Philistine God had already started to answer that prayer before David even prayed it. Think about it. The the, the weapon that he would need, there is no way he is defeating Goliath in hand-to-hand combat, right? It just ain't happening. This man who is a towering giant and a little boy, it's no contest. We know who's winning this. David needs a tactical advantage, which guess what? A sling gives him a tactical advantage. And the whole reason David had it, David wasn't going to the front lines expecting to fight. The only reason he had a sling, he didn't bring it with him preparing to, to, do, to, to go to combat. He brought it because that's what shepherds used. That's the, that's the position that he was in. He was a shepherd boy. Shepherds would use a sling, and the reason they would use it is because they could see an animal or a predator coming from ways off, and to try to scare it and startle it away, to get it from coming any closer, they would use a long range weapon, a sling and stones to fire it, to try to send warning shots to this animal to send them off. So David just had that because of the position he was in, the job he was in. He just happened to have the sling that he would need. Now the stones... This may seem kind of inconsequential unless you know something about how to use a sling. I did some study on this for the sermon. If you want to use a sling and have any kind of accuracy, you're not just picking any rock that you find. Most rocks, I mean, you guys know, go out into the parking lot. See the rocks that you find? They're they're jagged. They have sharp edges. They're, They're irregular shaped. And so if you have something like that and you're firing from a far distance, there's numerous things that can happen. One, you can throw it as straight as you want or launch it as straight as you want, but the curvature of the stone, the way that it has imperfections and irregularities can cause it to divert and cause it to go different directions than you want it to go. If it's got certain edges on it, whenever you release it from the sling, an edge can catch on the leather, affecting the accuracy of it. There's, there's no way you're going to be accurate with just any old stone. You need smooth rocks that can be accurate, that can be deadly from a long distance. And guess what? Just so happens, right by the battlefield, right where David's gonna need it, there's a stream with smooth stones aplenty. (laughs) God was already answering David's prayer. He gave him literally everything he needed before David even uttered a word, before David even knew he would be facing Goliath, God was already preparing him, making sure the sling would go with him, making sure he would have the stones that he needs to take down Goliath. God already knew his need before he said a word, and God knows your need before you even say a word. I know this to be true. I'm not nearly as good of a father as God, and I know this to be true with my own kids, my own kids. Uh, it's Shark Week, right? Shark Week, and my daughter, Evelyn, she's six. She loves sharks. She loves animals to begin with. She, so she just loves, loves uh, this stuff and all the stuff on TV with, with this week being Shark Week. So I was trying to find something for her because if you know, Shark Week is mostly just like a great white jumping out of the ocean and mauling a seal, right? Like that's pretty much what it is. And I'm like, I eh, don't really just want to prop Evelyn up and be like, there you go, sweetheart. Like So I'm scanning and I found there's an episode called, like there's a, a special called Baby Sharks. And the whole thing is like following around these little tiny baby sharks. And they're actually cute, like for a baby shark. It's like, oh, look at that little guy. All right, here we go. Watch Baby Sharks. So I walk in the other room, start putting dishes away. Go from there, go into the bathroom. Whenever I come out from the bathroom, I'm like rounding the corner and all I see is like the back of Evelyn. That's it, like sitting on the couch. Didn't see her face. She wasn't making any noises. But I kid you not, just rounding the corner, I knew something was off. It's crazy. If you're a parent, you understand. I just rounded the corner and I'm like, the the vibe just feels off, like something's wrong. She didn't say anything. So I walk around and I look at her and sure enough, puffy little red eyes, she's just... Sitting there like this, I'm like, what, honey, are you okay? What happened? And she points up at the TV, she goes, an alligator ate a baby shark. And I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> that's, my, that's my fault, that's my bad. <laughs> like, rather than just a, a full-grown great white eating a full-grown seal, I'm like, here, watch these baby animals get eaten, isn't that better? Like, not, not a good moment on my part. <laughs> Uh, so obviously I consoled her, turned on like baby shark cartoon, like there we go, that, that'll be good. Um, but it was just so crazy how I entered the room and didn't even hear her cry, didn't even see her face, but just knew something was wrong. Because she's my kid. She's my kid and I know her. Even before she says a word, even before she asks me for anything, I knew she needed help. The same is true to such a greater way with God. Before you can even say a word, before we can even express where we're at, God already knows. We can have hope because he hears, yes, but we can have hope because he hears when we don't speak. <laughs> he knows when we don't say a word. He, he sees us even when we're not trying to wave him down. He already knows. Now, if you're following this logically, you may be thinking, okay, Pastor Jacob, that's, that's great God sees me before I wave him down. God hears me before I cry out his name. God, he's there. He's already present. He's already watching. He's already aware before I even cry out, which is great, but then why cry out, right? Like, why, why pray if I don't need to because God already knows? Like, what's, what's the point of that? Um, I want to ask you a question, if, if that's what you're thinking. What if crying out to God isn't about getting his attention, but about him getting ours? right? What if crying out to God isn't about us getting his attention, about us waving him down? What if it's about him getting ours? Because what I fear is that we do see prayer that way of like, God. God's busy on all these other elevators. He, he's watching them and it's like, hey, um, actually they're doing fine. From all appearances, that person's elevator has never gotten stuck. So you can stop watching over them for a little bit. Could you watch over me? My elevator is constantly getting stuck. Do you even notice that I'm here? I'm, I'm having to wave you down. I'm having to hit the button to get your attention, God. What if we're wrong and that's actually not the case? What if prayer isn't us getting God's attention, but prayer is God getting our attention? Can I talk about my kids one more time? Is that all right? I'm getting the perfect hat trick. I've mentioned all three kids in my sermon today. I should get some dad brownie points for that. Uh, So my little guy, Griffin, uh, it's so funny how, it's just funny how kids work. Um, Sometimes I'll try to, if I know he's getting ready to come downstairs, if I'm already up and I've been downstairs and I know he should be waking up soon, I'll like go ahead and get a toy out because I know like he loves, especially his cars, man, that kid loves cars, or uh, how he says it with his like little accent, kais, kais, he calls them race kais, so I'll, I'll put his little kai out, right, like I'll put a car on, on the table for him, and, and he'll wake up, and he'll come running down, and he'll round the corner, and he'll see the cars, and he just starts playing with them, right, he's all happy, like, and starts playing, and that's it, and I'm like, you know, but there's there, right, your loving dad. <laughs> I did that. You want to give me like a little high five, a little hug, something like that, right? Like some kind of, some kind of love. But it is funny because like he just takes it for granted that it's there. Like that the car was just there all night and he came down and there it is. And like, hey, look, here it is. It's just where I left it, right? Uh, he kind of takes it for granted. But occasionally there, there's times where I'll like not put it out on purpose just to see what he does. I'm like, I'm just going to wait. So he'll come down and he'll like, I'm walking around, and he'll come over to me, and, uh, Daddy, where's my race, Kai? I want my race, Kai. So I'm like, oh, okay. And I go get him. I put it down. and He's, like, his I just wish you could see all this. His face. He, like, he's so expressive. He, oh, like, it's like the first time he's ever seen this thing. He plays with it all the time. He, oh, Lightning McQueen, Lightning McQueen. So he starts playing with it, and instantly he's like, Daddy, you play with me? Let's play. Let's play. Like, he wants to play with me, and I'm like, okay. So we're, we're all playing together, and I love it, and It makes me, whenever I think about that kind of scenario, now granted, it's not a perfect apples to apples comparison, but I think about that scenario and I'm like, man, whenever Griffin didn't know that he even had a need, whenever it was just there, he could have cared less about me. Like he just came down, his toy's there, he's just playing with it. But whenever the need was presented to him, whenever he realized that he didn't have his toy, suddenly he's like, my dad, I need to go to my dad. My dad will help me. My, my dad has my attention because I need, I need help here. And it created that relationship. He wanted to play with me after that. He wasn't just playing by himself. He wanted to play with me. And I think about that and I'm like, man, what if, what if that's what God tries to do in our life? Not even saying that the opposition that we come up against or the needs that are created in our life are God intentionally doing it. But when these things come up, what if God's like, man, I've been trying to get your attention. Is this going to do it? <laughs> You you think that you're waving me down. Man, I've been waving at you for I don't even know how long. I've been trying to get your attention. Hopefully, hopefully that life has now punched you in the mouth and that you are are down for the count. You see that you can't do this on your own, that you do need relationship with me, that you do need help with me, because, man, I have been pursuing it. I've been pursuing you this whole time. I'm going to ask the worship team if they would come back on stage, and as they do, I just want to reiterate, man, God just wants your attention, he just wants our attention. And sadly, this is, this is just the fact of the matter, sadly, more times than not, the way that he gets our attention is when we get punched in the mouth. When things don't go the way that we're hoping they're gonna go. More times than not, that's when we realize our need for God. I was talking with some of my friends this week and we were talking about the fact um, that sometimes whenever a bad thing happens, there's a saying people say, never let a good crisis go to waste, right? Never let a good crisis go to waste. I think that's true when it comes to our own personal lives and our spiritual walk. Don't let a crisis come in your way in your life. Don't let something happen. Don't get knocked out and not use that to your advantage. Go, you know what? I hate that this happened, but this is a good recentering moment moment for, re- for me to remember I'm not self-sufficient on my own and I need God's help. I need him. I need him to be Lord of my life. He is my hope. I'm not my hope. Not how good I am, not how righteous I am, not how faithful I am and how capable and competent I am, but how good and capable and competent and perfect he is. And I need him. Let those moments in your life be the thing that gets your attention and drives you back to the true source of your hope. And our hope is in him. And the fact that he hears us, that he sees us, and that he knows us, amen? That is our hope. I'm gonna ask you, if you would, let's stand to our feet as the worship team leads us and let's worship Jesus Christ, our living hope, all right? can put our hope and our trust and our faith and our confidence in you. And God, this isn't hope that we talk about nowadays where it's kind of like a 50-50 shot that we hope something pans out. Our hope in you is a confident hope. It's a hope that trusts you. It's a hope that is the same hope that your disciples had. God, as we sing that song, I think about the fact that the whole reason we have hope is because you're alive. It's because you're real. That's what separates us from every other faith system is that we have 12 men who followed you for three years. And when you were arrested and when you were crucified, every single one of them left, scared for their life. But something brought them back. Something brought these men back so that the very disciples who were terrified and ran and hid, came back to the streets of the very same city you were killed saying that you were alive again something happened and that something is the resurrection that's what we tether our life to that's what we tether our faith to that's what god that's what i have staked my entire future and my life on is the resurrection and i do so with a confident hope And God, I experience things day after day. And I know people in our church do, God, that that just prove over and over again, you are there, you are listening, you are hearing us. Even when we don't cry out, you are hearing us. You're answering prayers, you're stepping up, You're, you're, you're making miracle after miracle because you're so good and you're so faithful and you're so loving and you're so kind. God, help us to remember that. Help us to remember the fact that we can have a confident hope tethered to you. Help us to take that truth and actually see it applied in our lives because, man, it can be easy to believe that in here on Sunday when the music's soaring and everything seems so great, but it can be harder to believe on Monday and Tuesday when the world comes at us, when opposition comes our way, when the enemy throws stuff our direction. Help us to remember the fact that we can have a confident hope in you even in those moments. God, thank you so much for being so good and being so wonderful. We love you and we praise you this morning. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.
0: Well, that's all for this week. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to contact us or find out more about our ministry, head over to our website at cornerstonechurch.info. Have a great week.